So, Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for today. Another day that you have made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Father, for these that have come together in this uh, Bible study to search the scriptures and learn what you have to say to us this morning. And Father, as we continue on our journey through the harmony of the Gospels, we are on holy ground this morning as we look at the crucifixion of Christ, our Savior, what he did for our redemption. I pray, Holy Spirit, open our understanding to the Scriptures. Open our eyes of faith that we might truly behold what Jesus Christ did for us. I pray, Lord, that you make very real the work of redemption in our heart and i pray lord that we i know that we probably can't even fathom the depth of the work of love of jesus for us but lord help us to begin seeing that as we walk on this holy ground this morning i pray that you'll give us a sense of reverence of what we're about to look into and father i pray that you'll just uh Take our heart and fill it with your love. <clears throat> we'll thank you and praise you for it. Holy Spirit, teach us and help us to be good students of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. So let's, um, I want to in, in, uh, encourage you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. <coughs> We're going to start there in our uh, search of the scriptures this morning. And we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Christ, but what I have uh, entitled as the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Vicarious meaning the substitutionary sacrificial work of redemption, his death for us. Uh, individually in uh, Matthew chapter 27 uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 33 and uh, before we read that we I want to remind you that the, the the Lord Jesus forewarned his disciples of his suffering and his crucifixion at least four different occasions the Lord Jesus, uh, foretold this and tried to pre-warn them of what was going to come and what was about to happen, what was going to transpire, uh, so they would have uh, would not be taken aback and, and uh, blindsided. Matthew chapter 20 verses 18 and 19, the, the scriptures record Jesus making this statement to his disciples. He said, "Behold." We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. So we find here this prediction, this prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ of what was about to come to pass. He was headed to Jerusalem. This was about to take place. He let them know specifically the details of what was going to happen. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be scourged. He was going to be crucified. 
And each time that he forewarned them of the, the events that were about to take place, he also ended it uh, with his, the promise of his resurrection, which was, should have been encouraging, should have been uh, giving them uh, hope. But yet it uh, seems like they missed that, that statement, the last statement. Whenever they witnessed his crucifixion, they, they were, uh, went in depression, despondency, they were fearful. Uh, they forgot about the part that he was going to rise again the third day. But he still told them. So we find that Jesus forewarned them. But he also told, tells us in, in John chapter 12, it's recorded when he uh, addressed a group of people. He said, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So he came for this specific purpose. He knew what he came for, from heaven to earth, for the purpose of this work of redemption that included crucifixion, this horrific death he was about to suffer. Now, as we come to the scriptures of Matthew 27, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus had been betrayed. He has been illegally tried and illegally condemned to death by crucifixion. And he is now being led to the place where he will die. Last week, we looked at the way of sorrow, his uh, transit from the, the judgment hall of Pilate to Golgotha. And in uh, Matthew 27, in verse 33, the Bible says, and they gave... Um, and when they had come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. I want to stop there just a moment. Let's talk about the place where they led the Lord Jesus Christ. I think uh, uh, these, this information it will be helpful for us to come to understand the work that Jesus Christ did for us. First of all, Golgotha is the Hebrew term. It's translated as the place of a skull. And Luke chapter 23, in verse 33, it's called Calvary, uh, signifying the same place, two different terms. Uh, Calvary, I believe, is the Latin term uh, that was translated from Golgotha indicating the place of the skull. This is the place where they led the Lord Jesus Christ. He carried his cross. He went uh, on this journey uh, from the judgment hall of Pilate. Uh, and we, we look at scriptures and we find that this place is just outside the city gate. Um, uh, so, Ron, you and Kay have been to Israel, so you correct me if I say something incorrect uh, on this. But uh, according to Hebrews 13 and verse 12, it tells us that the place where Jesus died was crucified was just outside the city gate. Uh, it was close to a highway, uh, a main transit uh, route where people would go in and out of the city a lot of people passed by. It was a public place is what I'm trying to say. And it, in that area, uh, it was close. There was a garden close by with tombs uh, in it. 
uh, we'll find later on in John 19 and verse 41, it tells us that there was a garden uh, close by and with a tomb. Uh, Ron, go ahead, man. That garden was, was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. Yes. Okay. The whole garden? Yes. Okay. That's good to know. I didn't know that. So, all right. Uh, the garden that was by the crucifixion was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. So, um, but also what we need to understand too here is that he was led out of the city, which is a fulfillment of the, uh, the sin offering that was foreshadowed in Leviticus chapter four. I'm not going to go there, but just make a note to read Leviticus chapter four that talks about the sin offering that uh, the Lord gave told Moses and instructed him in order to uh, offer a sacrifice. Uh, the, the bull that was offered for a sin offering for the high priest for him to take that blood into the Holy of Holies um, that was taken outside of the city, outside of the camp in Leviticus. Uh, uh, and so that was a foreshadow of the sacrifice of Christ, the sin offering that Jesus Christ was about to uh, fulfill here in Matthew in the Gospels. So we find that he was led to a specific place, um, and it was a fulfillment of Old Testament uh, foreshadowing. And throughout this this journey in the crucifixion, and, and I'm going to bring out several different uh, fulfillments of prophecy uh, that Jesus fulfilled. He came to fulfill all the law. He came to fulfill everything that was spoken of about the Messiah, the Redeemer. And we want to see how that transpires and how he did that. But we find in Matthew 27, in verse 34, that when he arrived there, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. So we look at this, there's sour wine mixed with gall. Um, in Psalm 69 and verse 21, it tells us that the psalmist prophesied that they would give gall for him to drink, the Messiah. Gall is a bitter and poisonous herb. herb. Um, and when you mix that with wine or vinegar, it's used as a painkiller, uh, uh, something to uh, help people endure the suffering and affliction that was going on. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ had been scourged. He had been beaten. He had been mocked. He had been up all night. He had had no food or water. He was extremely exhausted. Uh, he was suffering uh, from all the wounds that was inflicted upon his body, the crown of thorns beaten upon his head. He was in pain. He was suffering. And now the Romans, I don't think, gave the, the uh, accused, the criminals that they were about to crucify this stuff. I think it was a, a, an act of compassion from the women of the area that they offered uh, the condemned this wine, sour wine mixed with gall as far as to help them through the suffering that they were about to endure. But notice, if you would, that when Jesus realized what this was, he refused to drink. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if Ed had a gallon of it, I'd have probably drank it. I don't like pain. I don't, you know, so, but Jesus, our Lord, wanted to endure every aspect of suffering for us. He didn't have anything to um, relieve his pain and suffering. He wanted to experience all of it. He came for that purpose. He was there to uh, take all the wrath, all the pain, all the suffering that we would have endured, uh, and he did it for us. Uh, in fact, John 18 and verse 11, he tells Peter uh, when Peter was trying to convince him not to go and, and go through this, he says, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And remember, if you would, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed um, uh, that if there was any other way that he would take the cup from him. But he came to uh, submission and surrender and said, I will take this cup that the Father has for me and I will drink it. And that, that cup we've, uh, I think, looked at or uh, will look at involves all the wrath of God on uh, for the penalty of our sin. Uh, he suffered quite a bit. So we, we begin to uh, see the events that take place there on Golgotha. So uh, he's led there. He's given, he's offered uh, some uh, wine with gall to drink. And, uh, and I don't, the sour wine part, I think it was just because it was old. It was there. I think that may have had something to do with helping the, uh, the pain aspect of it. But uh, it says, then in verse 35, then they crucified him. So up here he is. Hmm. This is going to be, this has been a difficult study, by the way, guys. This is uh, really, uh, in my mind, holy ground. We've been on holy ground the whole time. We're walking in the steps of Jesus through the harmony of the gospels. But this is, this is next few days, next few Sundays is going to be strong. But here we find that uh, they crucified him. Now, first thing they did uh, is they stripped him. They stripped him again of his clothing. Remember, whenever uh, they were scourging him, they stripped him. When they scourged him, they put on, after that, they mocked him. The soldiers did put on a scarlet robe, mocked him, and had their fun with him. And then they stripped him again and put his own clothes back on him. They led him to Golgotha. And as a, a part of the crucifixion, they stripped the, the, the condemned of their clothing. Uh, this uh, added to the humiliation of their sentence and their death. Uh, they were there exposed before all the world. Um, it, uh, the clothing actually uh, became part of the payment for the executioners that were there, usually about four Roman soldiers that were uh, assigned to crucify the criminals uh, to inflict the death penalty. And we find that part of their payment was the worldly possessions of the condemned, which basically all they had was the clothing. But this uh, being stripped of their clothing, uh, 
not only does it, did it add to their humiliation, but it also added to their suffering because it exposed them uh, to all the insects of the, uh, in that area, um, exposed them to the beast of the area. Now, just, you know, we're in Louisiana. You know, our, our state bird is the mosquito. And, uh, you know, so uh, we know what it's like to be uh, having mosquitoes all over us. But just think, uh, if you had no way of swatting the mosquitoes, no protection from them, from their bites. But uh, in that area, I don't know what all kind of insects was there, but the flies would be there swarming around the body. And I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to not get too gory on the details of this. I, I would, my wife is telling me in the background, please. Uh, but, you, well, you need to get the picture. You need to read it on your own and, and, and receive what Jesus went through in order to appreciate more fully what he suffered for us, for our sins, because he was innocent. We were the guilty ones. But we find that uh, one of the things about the crucifixion and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a moment. <clears throat> but the, the condemned uh, person on the cross, completely exposed to not only the insects of, of that area, but also to the beast, which um, part of that in, the, in that culture, in the Roman culture, because the Romans wanted to emphasize the severe punishment in the uh, for crimes against the Roman government, they many times would leave the crucified one uh, on the cross for the birds of prey to come and feast on their body. So they were exposed in, in uh, a terrible way. But the executioners, the, the Bible says that uh, they would... Uh, they crucified him. They divided his garments, casting lots. And it says here that it might be fulfilled. The scriptures, again, prophesied that this would take place of the Messiah. It says the scriptures might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And this was a quote from Psalm 22 and verse 18. So we find here that uh, even the events of the crucifixion, the very the, the minute details that we just read over, these were significant because they were fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And that helps us to come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He came as a promise to uh, for us from God. So, and then it says in verse... Um, let's talk about the, the crucifixion. By the way, this the, the crucifixion of Christ is related to us in all four of the Gospels. But each Gospel account, each narrative, gives us different information, different viewpoints, provides for us more detail as we combine all four of the Gospels uh, to learn a little bit more about what 
uh, the scriptures tell us of the redemptive work of Jesus. Well, the crucifixion was uh, uh, invented, if you would, uh, long before this event took place. It was uh, designed or invented by the Phoenicians uh, hundreds of years before this. Uh, they came up with their very cruel uh, people whenever they went in and, and uh, overtook a city. Uh, they would crucify uh, the the prisoners and, and the inhabitants there, especially the, the leadership of that city, that town. Uh, and it was a, a, a cruel way to die because it was uh, very slow. In our day, our culture, various states have different forms of capital punishment or did. Uh, most states now have out, done away with capital punishment, but at one time there was a uh, hanging, uh, there's uh, electric chair, there's gas chamber, there's lethal injection. Uh, and uh, the, the capital punishment of our day has progressed to the place where quote unquote, it's more humane way to die. It goes from hanging to a lethal injection. Uh, the lethal injection is uh, basically giving you uh, drugs to make you fall asleep and then you, you, you just expire. Uh, and, but the Roman government, they didn't want it to be humane treatment. They wanted it to be as inhumane as possible to uh, give a statement to the people uh, to deter any kind of criminal activity against the, the Roman government. It was designed to, um, the Romans adopted this form of capital punishment and perfected it, if you would, to and designed it to inflict the maximum torturous pain and humiliation that they could uh, upon the criminal. And so, uh, in fact, it was so inhumane that the Roman law said no Roman citizen could be crucified. They, it was only uh, for slaves or, or people that they had, had captured. Uh, it was, in fact, if a Roman citizen was to be crucified, it would have to be a direct order from Caesar, the emperor, and if you did that, it must have really been bad, something that you did bad for him to have you crucified. But a Roman citizen normally could not be crucified. So it was reserved for just a few. But we find that uh, the scriptures, well, I, let me just let me just talk a little bit. I'm not going to read all this because it, it's pretty gruesome, but I think we do, it would, do us well to get a taste, if you would, of the crucifixion, because just saying Jesus is crucified really doesn't help us uh, to understand what he went through uh, for us. And again, remember, he is the innocent dying for the guilty. He was not dying for a crime that he'd committed. He was dying for our sins. So, um, there was a, a doctor that wrote an article uh, in the American 
Medical Association, the Journal of the American Medical Association on the physical death of Jesus Christ. And uh, some of the things that uh, he brought out uh, is uh, eye-opening, if you would. First of all, we need to remember that that Jesus uh, had been scourged. We talked about the scourging, the, the ripping of the flesh, even the, to the point of exposing bone, uh, and then being clothed and then stripped of his clothing a couple of different times. That would uh, reopen the wounds. Uh, and it's in this condition, in this in a nude condition, that he was uh, placed on the cross. He was nailed to the cross. It was uh, uh, it was rough. The rough sawn wood. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't padded. Uh, it was a rough timber. Um, and it was he was thrown on the ground. He wasn't gently uh, handled. He was manhandled by Roman soldiers. He was thrown to the ground, uh, and uh, it says that they. Uh, he said that they were uh, the Roman soldier. One would uh, press his knee upon the forearm of the of the victim, and another one would drive a nail through the wrist uh, portion right here between the two bones in the wrist that would help hold him. Uh, the victim on the cross whenever they uh, stood it vertical. Uh, so in this environment, uh, the uh, the body was uh, exposed to the can contamination of the dirt and the environment in which it was uh, in. Uh, each time the the victim moved, he would his body would scrape against the rough wood. Uh, which would aggravate the and cause even more pain. The uh, whenever the victims again, we talked about the crossbeam was carried. That's whenever that's what Jesus was uh, nailed to. Go ahead, Ron. I see you. Yeah, I just want to point out from that uh, scourging, his blood loss over this time must have been huge. So he's suffering from blood loss and shock. <coughs> yeah, his shock. <coughs> Excuse me. So he, he was already suffering quite a bit before he was nailed to the cross, and now he was even more intensified when the nails were driven through his wrist. And I'm told, and I'm gonna to try to remember this and describe it without trying to read it, that at the time that the, the Lord's was uh, nailed to the cross, his arms were stretched out. Then the Roman soldiers would lift him up and attach that crossbeam to the vertical pole that was already in place. Now, I know that a lot of pictures uh, depict the Lord Jesus elevated quite a bit from the, the earth, but actually he wasn't very far uh, up, just enough that his feet would not touch the ground. Actually, probably about six, eight, eight feet 
uh, at most um, a very close to proximity to the crowd. Uh, and this we'll see in just probably next week, this afforded him the ability to be able to converse and speak uh, to the crowd. Uh, if he was elevated real high because of his weak condition, he would not be able to be heard very well. But uh, being close, uh, he was. <clears throat> but they would lift the, the victim and attach the crossbeam to the vertical pole. And then they would uh, take the, uh, the feet and they would bend the legs parallel to the cross uh, to the to the to the cross and then they would drive a longer nail just around the ankle area uh i think is or the top of the feet they would put one on top of the other and they would drive a nail down through both of them at the same time then they would sometimes they would attach a peg or a little board uh, for the victim to sit, rest his body weight on at times. Uh, but most of the time, uh, they, didn't, they didn't stay there because whenever they lifted him up, part of the suffering was is they, it, in that ex extended condition, they were unable to breathe. They could inhale, but they could not exhale without lifting their body up. Uh, to where that would relieve the pressure on their lungs and they could exhale. They would drop their body weight back down, they could inhale. But in order to exhale, they had to lift their body up. Now, every time that they went up and down, the back was torn open again against the rough wood, the cross. So it was agonizing pain just to breathe. Eventually, uh, many have stated that. Uh, that most victims died from uh, asphyxiation, that they, their, their bodies would grow so weak they couldn't lift themselves up and they would suffocate. Uh, they would die from that way. Uh, but there, I did read several commentaries, one of which said that there had been reports of, of a victim lasting almost nine days being on the cross, which was suffering the whole way. So. Um, it could have been very, very bad. But we need to uh, need to understand that that Jesus was in intense pain, uh, and and yet he refused to take anything to dull the pain. He chose to suffer uh, all of it, and he did so for us. Um, Let me see if I, there's anything else on this that I, um, death from crucifixion uh, could come from many sources that doctor said. He said acute shock from blood loss, being too exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, they wouldn't have any water, stress-induced heart attack, congestive heart failure. Um, if the victim did not die quickly enough, the legs were broken and the victim was soon unable to breathe. So we'll see that later on as we continue in this study. Now I realize that this is not the um, feel good kind of Bible lesson this morning. Uh, 
but it is something that should give us a greater appreciation of the love that God demonstrated for us. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that God demonstrated his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did this for us when we should have been the one dying. So um, so the significance of the crucifixion. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, in verse 23, the Bible says that he who is hanged is accursed of God. We are under the curse of sin. We are the ones that deserve to suffer the penalty, the wages, the price of sin is death. But we find that Jesus took the place and became the accursed of God for us in our stead. In this time, we find that as he was crucified, uh, we reflect upon Isaiah 53. If you want to turn to Isaiah 53, I think we need to read a couple of verses there that would help us see the prophetic statement of the prophet Isaiah concerning the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for us. Isaiah 53, <clears throat> I want to begin reading verse 4 and following. And the scriptures tell us that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Now need, you need to pay attention to that, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. I would encourage you, as I did in my Bible, to circle the term our, the pronoun our and see how many times it's listed here in these verses. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we find here the prophet tells us that the Messiah was going to be uh, substituting himself for us to pay our price, thus the vicarious suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He substituted himself for us. Now, to be forced to endure such torture and die such a horrific death is terrible, but to freely choose to do so for the sake of others it's remarkable love we find that john chapter 10 and verse 18 look with me if you would to john 10 and verse 18 John chapter 10 and verse 18. I know that we read in Matthew that they crucified him. The Bible says they crucified him. But in John 10, 18, the Lord Jesus said, no one takes it from me. Talking about his life, verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I receive from my father. So the Lord Jesus voluntarily gave himself his life for us. The Bible says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. I already quoted Romans chapter five and verse eight, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we find that he did that. Now notice the Bible says that as we read in Isaiah, God, he was smitten by God. Also in Isaiah 53, it says later on that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So we, we've read and we, we've, we've studied this. We've seen how um, the Jewish leadership uh, rejected Christ, brought him to trial and accused him and uh, wanted him to die. They turned him over to the Gentiles who uh, convicted him and condemned him to die the, uh, and crucified him. And we, we can say that uh, the Jews killed Jesus. We can say the Romans killed Jesus. We actually ought to say we killed Jesus because we it was our sins for which he died. Uh, we had a part in that as well. But actually, the Bible says he was smitten by God. The Lord, God, the Father, gave his son. He's the one that poured out the wrath of, of righteousness upon his own son and caused his son to die a substitutionary sacrificial death for us. He was smitten by God. But also, if you would, uh, you need to uh, reflect upon that verse in John where it says, Jesus said, I can lay down my life. He gave it himself. He had to give it in order for him to die. Cannot kill deity. You can kill a man, but you cannot kill deity. He had to lay down his life willingly for us. So go back, if you would, to, uh, well, not, let's go to Mark for just a minute now, Mark chapter 15, and look at Mark's account of the crucifixion. Mark gives us a timeline. Uh, Matthew didn't give us really a timeline, but Mark gives us a timeline of the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, so let's look at the time. In Mark chapter 15, um, I'm going to begin reading verse 22. And they brought him, Jesus, to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. And uh, let me let me just stop there and ask, Ron, you saw Golgotha. Does it re resemble a skull? Absolutely. Okay. There's like two caves that are like the eye socket. And then there's like a, a little ridge vertically that kind of hollows back like a nose. And then there's a, like a shelf down below. So it looks exactly like a skull. So, so that, and matter of fact, yeah, uh, a, a famous British general, 
Charles Gordon uh, got up one morning and uh, was having his morning tea on the balcony of his hotel. And he was looking out there and he saw this. And he said, well, that looks like a skull. Yeah. And so it's not the, the uh, traditional location where they have the, the church built, but it's actually probably more accurately. That yeah, I read I read that from other commentators that they uh, it's a different location that they yep. officially uh, noted as his place of crucifixion, but the place of the skull is actually a little bit different off from that. Yeah, it, well, it's further it's further out, and <coughs> it would be more likely to have been outside the wall uh, at that time. <coughs> okay, thank you. So we see it's the place of the skull. In verse 23 of Mark 15, then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. Myrrh and gall are basically the same thing. and It makes the same effect as far as a painkiller is concerned. Verse 24, when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. So they gambled uh, for his clothes. And then in verse 25, he gives us the time. He said, now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. The third hour was around 9 o'clock in the morning. So uh, we see that, and now uh, we're going to fast forward just a moment in Mark chapter 15 and verse 34. And it says, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, uh, and he ended up dying then. The ninth hour, uh, well, let me, let me, uh, it says, then in verse 37, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. So he was nailed to the cross, third hour, he died the ninth hour, which was about three o'clock in the afternoon. So from nine o'clock in the morning to three in the afternoon, six horrific, pain-filled, hours Jesus was on the cross and the events that took place so we have this time frame here and we're going to talk a little bit more about the ninth hour uh, uh, later uh, but uh, just wanted to see wanted you to see the timeline that uh, that mark gives us there um, so let's let's go if you would to uh, John chapter 19, just real quickly. I'm about to run out of time. But John chapter 19, <clears throat> I want you to see the placement of the accusation. John 19 and verse 19. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the, on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Uh, then many of the Jews read this title for the place where he was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Uh, it was near the city. That gives us understanding that there was a main thoroughfare there, people going in and out of the city. It was a public spectacle. Romans intentionally did that uh, in order for the, the message to be given to all the people that could see this is what will happen if you commit a crime against the Roman government. But the placement of the accusation, Pilate wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, 
king of the Jews. John is the only one that gives us this entire uh, inscription that Pilate wrote. The other gospels gives us, it says king of the Jews, or this is the king of the Jews. But we find here that John brings out Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Ron, what you got, man? Well, I'm just going to point out that John was probably the only eyewitness that actually wrote directly about it. Right. Yeah. He was there in the crowd uh, witnessing that. We're going to see evidence of that here next week, I think. Uh, but uh, I think that it's significant that Pilate wrote Jesus of Nazareth because Jesus was as common a name back then as uh, Robert or Ron or Sam or John or was is today, but he specifically identified Jesus of Nazareth and the accusation that was the king of the Jews. This uh, seemed to uh, add to the humiliation and the mockery to the Jewish nation that Rome had the power to crucify their king, uh, the king of the Jews. Uh, of course, the Jewish leadership, it goes on to say in verse 21 of John 19, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I'm the king of the Jews. They wanted to change the accusation, the claim that Jesus claimed that he was the king of the Jews, not that he was actually the king of the Jews, which would have um, not as been as uh much of a mockery to the Jewish nation, but Pilate said, look, what I've written, I've written. It's done. Uh, you brought him to me to crucify him. I'm doing that. And this is, this is the way it is. So next week, we're going to start looking at the placement of Jesus and, and where he was placed in the crucifixion and start looking at seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and use that as a guide to go through the events of the entire crucifixion uh, of Christ and see what transpires. So uh, <clears throat> I know this might not have been uh, the, the most easily heard lesson, but I pray that it was informative and helped you, <clears throat> excuse me, helped you in some way to come to a better understanding of what our Savior did for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for the time in your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love and your willingness to die on the cross for us, suffer so intensely, so horrifically uh, to pay our sin debt. And uh, Lord, I thank you for that grace, that mercy. Now I pray that you'll bless us and help us to um, come to appreciate more what you've done for us and that we might be motivated, Lord, to share the gospel message even more accurately uh, with others. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.